Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Michael Lyons, owner of Recovery Systems. Michael and I had a great conversation about all things recovery, why it's so important, and what impacts it. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Michael, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm very good. Lovely to meet you. Um, great to uh, reach out uh, across the um, airwaves uh, through a common connection of ours. Yes, I am super excited to... Um, I found out about you from someone else I had in the podcast and really like what you're doing and thought you could bring some good information. So I'm excited to get you on and, and talk. Um, but first and foremost, who are you? <laughs> I'm some old guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, uh, uh, I t- well, I, I'm just about turned 62. Uh, I'm based in Singapore, but I'm originally from New Zealand. So growing up in New Zealand, we more or less were exposed to sport from a very early age. And you, you may have heard of the New Zealand All Blacks, the rugby team, mm-hmm. uh, who, who are um, probably have, well, they have the, the best success rate of percentage of any international sports team. So growing up, rugby is a big part of our culture. And so from the time I could walk, I was playing rugby for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Crazy game, lots of, you get lots of injuries. Uh, I morphed as, as a parallel across my life. I've been uh, cycling everything from velodrome to road racing to specialist time trial. And then when I moved to Asia 21 years ago, uh, I got involved in triathlon and discovered that I could swim quite well, mostly because of my body shape. I sit well in the water, so um, and I, uh, I, natu- I had a natural background in cycling, and I used to bluff my way through the run and ended up winning a fair few races, and that morphed into coaching. So I've been around sport and around being involved in sport uh, and coaching others for for a, a long time now. So that kind of morphed into the hobby of discovering ways of recovering better. And my hobby became a business five years ago. Oh, so all the hobbies can become a business. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's dive into the recovery aspect of things. Uh, Cause I know that's a huge part of what you do. Um, I think what I'd like to dive into first is why recovery is as important as it is and perhaps more important than the actual training that we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. There's, a, there's an old saying that goes, training makes you worse, recovery makes you better. So if you look at the pathway to gains, because we all want gains, I've seen your social media, I've seen you lift and uh, I've, I've seen, you know, what a fine line as a, as a, an elite or a high performance athlete, what a fine line getting to gains becomes after you become initially fit. So it's it's really a journey of one percenters. So uh, recovery is the gap, is, the, is what happens to bridge the gap between the stimulus of training and the super compensation of the, of the gains. So if, if I was to ask that question though, just briefly, we're in three different distinct markets. So we, uh, we address medical issues. If you ask someone 
with medical issues like diabetes, lymphedemia, DVT, what again looks like to them or what recovery looks like, it's a return to some sort of form of quality of life. And we've been instrumental in being part of the recovery protocol to prevent some people from having their, their legs amputated. So uh, I, I guess if that's all I ever do with my life, then I'm quite happy that I've achieved something. Uh, and then on the athlete side, really recovery for a lot of athletes are weekend warriors. They're not, they're so-called non-professional. And I define a professional, um, someone who's a professional is purely they're making their money and, and a living from their, from their sport. So they're funding them, themselves, their families and, and so on. So most of our, the sweet spot of our clientele are the weekend warriors who are trying to balance the equation, the energy equation between their love for the sport, their um, need to have a job and to work certain hours, and then balance that up with quality of life at home as well. Recovery is a key component to making that all work because nobody likes it when you fall asleep on date night. <laughs> Usually does not end well for anyone. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's a, a little synopsis. And, and of course, you could, you could argue that um, it, this is a marginal gains play. And, and marginal gains are, you know, what happens with, as I mentioned, when, with a very unfit athlete, they get a huge ramp in their improvement over a short space of time. It could be, you know, one to two to three months where there's just constant improvement and big gains. And then they'll reach a point where, okay, they've got all their easy gains. And now it's a case of getting smarter, training smarter, uh, the correct stimulus, the right recovery, timing of nutrition, um, nailing the sleep, which is the ultimate when it comes to recovery. And we'll, hopefully we'll talk more about that a little later. And um, so, so it becomes a real balancing act of, of looking for ways that are going to be, uh, when it comes to recovery, convenient and repeatable that will move the needle. So whatever is convenient and repeatable gets done and is highly likely to move the needle towards gains. You started going the direction when you kind of broadened sleep to the direction I wanted to go. Um, but just thinking broadly is I think so many people kind of look at recovery and they think it's like, okay, I need a rest day and I need to stretch after I work out. They don't realize that there's this wide range of things in their life not necessarily that are difficult to do, but just things that we need to incorporate nutrition, hydration, sleep, yep. Um, yep. just decrease your stresses, like all sorts of things that impact our recovery. Yeah, definitely. Even uh, gut health, for example, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's a journey of what I call peeling back the onion. There's lots of different layers to discovering what works for an athlete. And for many of us, unfortunately, our journey is more or less an experiment of one because we can read things, we can hear things from our coaches. At the end of the day, we've got to flesh those out ourselves and figure out what works, what works for ourselves. Just a quick, um, quick example of that. When, uh, when I was coaching full-time and I had an athlete was, that was doing all the right things uh, but not getting the right response, uh, they, they were non-responding, non-responsive to the training and, the, and to the recovery. I always used to go and look at, so what is the reason? I asked them, uh, you know, look at their sleep numbers, 
start to look at the timing of their nutrition, what they were eating, um, get their gut health checked out, because they could be eating the right things, for example, and uh, the, the body's just not absorbing because there's some weak link in the chain. So all those sort of things add up. And ultimately, anything that influences sleep quality in a positive way uh, needs to be paid attention to and needs to be incorporated into your whole routine in order to be the best that you can be. Diving into sleep quality a little bit, because um, there's so like, there's so many things that play into quality of sleep and not just like the room we're sleeping in, but what we're doing prepping for that leading up like the hour or two before that. Um, what are like, what are some things you talk about with your athletes when it comes to how to get better quality of sleep? Yeah, let's just uh, maybe start with some of the challenges. And in our part of the world, one of the challenges with having evening swim sessions or, or track sessions or long runs is the ability to bring the core temperature, the core body temperature down again to a point where the body starts getting into sleep mode. Because um, uh, we, we found that um, oftentimes um, the swimming... Um, a lot of our athletes got a little dehydrated swimming because you lose about a kilo of water, a kilo of fluid per hour when you're in the pool. And if you're doing four kilometers, for example, you're going to be in the pool for say an hour and 20 or thereabouts. So you're going to lose a fair amount. You don't actually realize it. And you need to be mindful of your rehydration because that can really mess with your sleep as well. Trace elements, depletion like magnesium and potassium so that you go to bed and your legs are restless for some reason and it's really a trace element uh, that, that's missing. But uh, having the getting into a state where you're cooling your body down, you might do that through a number of different ways. The easiest one would be, say, a cold shower. And re remember, you have a winter and we don't. <laughs> so we don't have much of a winter in Arizona, but the rest of the country has a winter. Yeah, yeah. So when we get into a cold shower here, the water temperature is probably, I don't know, 23 or something. <laughs> so it's not like we're not like my home country. You get in the, into a cold shower, particularly in the winter, and the water's coming out at 10 degrees. Now that's that's a different uh, that's a different story. But so finding ways to, to bring your core temperature down, uh, a, a a cool dark room. Uh, so we have aircon on here, so that creates its, its own, um, uh, you know, its, its own challenges because you end up getting a little bit dehydrated. Uh, I also sleep, one of my own personal tricks is I sleep on an earthing mat. Yep. So it's a mat that's under the bed sheet and it's, it's plugged into the earth socket of the wall. And uh, so what I did as an experiment, I looked at my sleep numbers over a long period of time, then incorporated the sleep mat and I noticed that my light sleep percentage dropped. In other words, my deep sleep improved as a result of that. Uh, and uh, overall, the, the net result was I had a good amount of REM, around two hours of REM, around two hours of deep, and around four hours of um, light sleep. So a good ratio of things going on there to get brain health and to get um, muscle and nervous system repair. Uh, and, and just make sure that, um, you know, I'm completely um, resetting the system for the next day. So those tricks were, were important. I also incorporated a sleep mask 
into the routine as well. And I tried a few cheap ones. They were quite good. They were not too bad. I ended up buying one that was a little more, that really sealed the light out. It was a little heavier though. It's a bit like, um, uh, a bit like a yoga eye bag, but that worked quite well. The brand was Mantra, uh, not that I'm sponsored by them or anything, but just as a reference. And I noticed that they've bought out a lighter version, which is silk, which might actually even be even better. But um, I'd also pop a little couple of drips of lavender around the nose on that as well, um, lavender essential oil. And I found that that worked a treat as well. And I was um, typically... Um, I would only wake once during the night for a uh, for a, a bio break, and then straight back to sleep again. So that was um, that was a a, a good improvement. Um, now uh, I, I guess we'll talk about the boots and how they influence things later. Uh, but you can go into that now if you want. Well, um, it, it's all. It, it all revolves around the parasympathetic system, which is your body's rest and digest. Because a lot of the recovery modalities out there are good and have their place, uh, like guns, percussion guns, um, and, and so on. But they won't do anything to put your body into a parasympathetic healing state. So this is a, a state where your body's going into rest and digest and is triggering all the all the happy repair hormones, all the HGH to be secreted, your body's going into a state of um, it's uh, where it's flicked or turned on the healing switch. So um, notably, uh, no, notably, most people, if they go beyond 10 minutes on the boots, will actually fall asleep. Okay. Now, a little, little sidebar comment. Um, we... Uh, launched last year a version of the compression boots for horses. And guess what happens after 10 minutes if a horse has it on? They fall asleep. And so that, yeah, horses and horses are, um, are athletes with four legs. They have the same requirements as humans. And mm -hmm. uh, so finding the key time of day to use the boots, you can use at any time. If you take the example of Jesse, who was on uh, a week or two back, Jesse starts a day with 10 to 20 minutes as a warm-up. So 10 minutes on the boots equals 30 to 40 minutes of running or cycling. So it has a really low metabolic cost to get your body primed ready. Uh, of course, minus the biomechanical part, right? You still need to mobilize the joints. Because um, I, I know who I'm talking to on this one. <laughs> Uh, but, but your vascular system uh, is boosted beyond what it would take 30 to 40 minutes of, uh, from a, um, you know, from a um, other uh, warm-up um, uh, method. So that's, uh, so that's a good one. Then before bed is, is prime time, just getting your body into that unwind state. And look, and I think these days we're bombarded with, uh, with all sorts of things on social media, particularly... Uh, I paid far too much attention to the U.S. elections and to the uh, to after the U.S. elections and everything and even uh, even everything that's going on now. So I think we're bombarded and we're actually overloaded. We're overloaded with things. So I think finding your own way of getting yourself into wind down mode and for me that's listening to an audio book. So I turn the the TV off and I'll listen to an audio book and that's 
I'll put the timer on for 30 minutes and I, I'm normally gone before the 30 minutes is up. Uh, so there's, there, that's a personal, a personal trick for me. Yeah, I think that's an, I think that is the key. And like anything, like you kind of mentioned with anything, it's finding what works for you. And um, yeah, everyone, the winding down part is necessary, but really finding that thing that works for you, whether it's reading or a bath or, yes, you know, yeah. a certain, like some sort of tea or, you know, whatever it is for you is the important thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Experiments of one. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. What is it or how do the compression sleeves impact the parasympathetic system? That's a good question. Um, we've got a good blog. Just I'll, I'll, I'll just bring it down into, into a summary. Uh, we've got a good blog on our website on it, which is um, science-based. Uh, but it's, it's actually, when you have muscle soreness, and I've seen your leg days, by the way, I've seen your leg days, so I'm pretty sure that you're going to be having DOMS the next day or the day after. Um, it, with that muscle soreness is not the muscle, it's actually the nervous system. It's the nervous system that needs to be reset. So a combination of the blood flow, because the way the boots work, uh, the, the scientific term or the category of recovery is called intermittent pneumatic compression. Intermittent meaning on and then off and then repeating. So it's a milking motion of a minute on, 20 seconds off, pneumatic air uh, compression, obviously. Uh, it, uh, that motion is pushing the blood flow which stimulates the whole parasympathetic response so it's doing it in a way that mimics the body's natural healing process but the pressure that's involved is uh is is quite something uh it's it's around 240 mmhg to give you a reference a compression sock is around 20 mmhg of pressure uh, and it's static, whereas the boots are moving, moving the blood volume. So basically, that's how it triggers the parasympathetic response. So we've got some great pictures on our website and our social media of after Spartan races. And we have a recovery tent at the end and people come along. They've just had a race. They're dying to talk about it. They put the boots on five minutes later, they're fast asleep. <laughs> these, are, these are athletes that are just dying to share their race. And they're out like a light. They're all on, lying on the ground as if it's, you know, <laughs> they're, they're dead to the world. And and so there's, you know, there's a, you know, there's a great example of that. Um, uh, most of our athletes report back that their sleep quality is improved, including not the least of which is the power nap after the long training session, which typically happens on a Saturday or a Sunday. So that, um, you know, coming back, getting showered, getting refueled, getting the boots on, and then there's a, there's a real quality 20, 30, or 40 minutes uh, of power nap as well. Okay, very nice. You mentioned them a couple, mentioned it a couple times, and I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts on them, because um, depending on who you talk to, you get different answers. Um, percussion guns. Yes, yep. Uh, so as a modality, I'd put them in a similar category to a really good sports masseuse. And uh, in, in my view, uh, they're, they're there to break down scar tissue and to help muscles to lengthen out. Because like it or not, our sports are repetitive in nature. 
whether it's lifting, whether it's running, whether it's cycling, uh, they're somewhat repetitive in nature, and therefore the muscles will uh, will inevitably shorten based on the uh, the biomechanical profile of the person, and you'll get um, blockages occur or scarring or shortening. Uh, so I see the guns being really good for helping to the muscles to release and to um, get them to return to a normal range of motion so that we can you know, get back that movement pattern back. Um, you're likely to be worse before you're better. So there's a company, uh, uh, and the same for a good sports masseuse, by the way, which I'm an advocate of, um, you know, athletes using both these modalities. And it comes down to good sports masseuse is worth their weight in gold. And typically they're getting, they're finding the blockages, they're getting into the scarring and they're helping the muscles to release. And normally I would prescribe this when I was coaching to an athlete, athlete during their rest week because okay. they're going to be worse before they're better. They're, they're not going to make any headway. It's all about consolidating the gains and in a particular training block, but they're likely to be worse before they're better. The same with the, the gun. Um, we, um, the Terragun people over this way gave us a gun because they were interested in reselling our boots. And so we did a swap. And so the first day I got the gun, I used it for 40 minutes. <laughs> And then I was completely wrecked the next day. I, I felt thought somebody had beaten me up when I woke up the next day. So you know, that's, a, that's a modality that's a periodic one. So it comes down to frequency. You're probably not going to use that every day. And there's, I'm about, there's bound to be people out there that do, by the way. Uh, whereas the frequency for the boots would be at least once a day, maybe twice a day, maybe three times a day without any downside of tissue damage because they won't do tissue damage. Uh, so there's an, an, there's an appropriate frequency for everything. Um, personally, I also do hot and cold therapy. I'm a fan of it. Uh, however, it's not convenient. Uh, so I go to a place that's got a plunge pool, then spa pool, then we get into the sauna. And uh, being the age that I am, and I'm still relatively active, I. I, I do about 15, roughly 15 hours to 18 hours training a week, mostly on the bike. Um, I uh, inevitably, my recovery hacks have to improve exponentially over someone who's 20 or 30 years younger. For a start, I've got a lot of dead cells in my body that I need to, um, I need to get rid of. So. I do uh, saunering or plunge pool, spa pool, sauna um, as frequently as I can to help um, trigger autophagy or the removal of the dead cells and make room for the new ones. But it's not highly convenient. I got to travel somewhere. It needs to be scheduled. It's not like um, uh, putting the boots on takes less than 30 seconds and turn the button on you and you're away. So that's highly convenient. Um, uh, most of our products now are battery. So you, you could even be sitting in the passenger seat of a car or um, while, while you're in transit on an airplane, for example, and getting a recovery or sitting as you and I are on a call, uh, getting in a recovery session because nobody sees what goes on under the desk. You could have the boots <laughs> on getting, getting in a, a good recovery session.
so true very cool um so that's guns yeah um i I would also say i think there's a bit of a myth around ice i'm curious i I know my views on it and i think there's a lot of myths too i'm curious on what your views are on it yeah well i think ice is good in whiskey but only one q uh ice and drinks is nice now we work with collision sports uh, so we have a contract with New Zealand Rugby. We also supplied Rugby World Cup. Um, and for, for those in America, um, r- rugby is a bit like gr- gridiron without pads. And it's actually the third biggest uh, World Cup tournament in the world. So the biggest, biggest is the Olympics, um, the sporting tournaments. The second biggest is fo- football or soccer. And the third biggest is the Rugby World Cup. So we supplied the Rugby World Cup a couple of years back. Now, these are collision sports. So typically, you're, it's, it's contact. And uh, typically, there's hematomas or bruising uh, and, and sometimes worse. So ice is totally appropriate, in my view, because there's trauma. So wherever there's trauma, use ice. Because ice is going to do two things, control bleeding and also pain relief. However, the downside of using ice day-to-day for a recovery is uh, that it actually delays inflammation. And inflammation is the first phase of healing. Uh, Inflammation is your body's response to your workout. And as a result, your body secretes all all the good hormones, all the growth and repair hormones in order to do the job that you need it to do. That's where the boots come in and speed up that whole cycle of repair, uh, healing, repair, gains. So that's kind of a a synopsis there. Now, when we work with uh, rugby tournaments here where they're playing three times a day, we encourage them to get in, because we're in a hot climate, we're 30 degrees plus all the time, high humidity. We encourage them to get into uh, an ice bin. Uh, Typically they've got these big rubbish tins and they're full of ice. We encourage them to get in for a minute to bring their core temperature down. Okay. So, so there's another protocol for ice is actually to bring your heart rate down and, you know, then they come over to the uh, tent and do compression. Uh, they come spend some time on compression. They'll also do it as a warm up before the next game as well. So that's a nice combination. And, and sometimes they've got uh, collision damage as well. So, so they do need to get first phase to, to get the ice. So that's, kind of a brief, a brief summary. And as I mentioned earlier, I think hot and cold therapy, getting into uh, around eight to 10 degrees of water, so it doesn't need to be super cold. Uh, that's cold enough, by the way. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, eight Celsius, by the way. Um, I know what you meant, but yes, probably good to clarify for people. Good to clarify. Good to clarify because, yeah, <laughs> we may be measuring things differently. Uh, uh, And and I think, personally, I think around two minutes from what I've studied and also my own response, and I've spent up to 30 minutes in there just to be some sort of tough guy, but it it really was, I was overreaching. And there's there's a sweet spot for these things. There's a sweet spot for really nailing it. And um, more's not necessarily better. Harder's not necessarily better. Find your sweet spot would be my... Uh, you know, my tip. So I find around two minutes in the punch pool, then spa pool, and then into the sauna. And I think those, 
the, the combination of, of um, contracting the capillaries, ex expanding the capillaries quickly, and then getting to the sauna to help with the autophagy, especially for me being an old guy, um, is, is, a, is, a, is a good thing. And, and uh, I find that my joint mobility uh, is really nice after a session like that, but it's not particularly repeatable. Uh, there is a cost involved and so on. And we can also, we can probably all, um, all quote examples where we know places that have got uh, cryo uh, therapy and a whole lot of other things. But at the end of the day, I think it comes down to what you can do at home. Mm -hmm. And you know what, what is repeatable, what you can build regularly into your life is going to make the difference to you as an athlete and also impact favorably on all those other areas of your life that are important as well. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think, you know, anything, whether it's recovery, training, nutrition, you name it, it has to be something that fits into your lifestyle. Like if it yeah. doesn't, you're not going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, nutrition's a big one as well. And, uh, I, I, for one, have, have not, uh, you know, have not nailed that one. I've, I, I have a fasting protocol most of the time, uh, but that's been a, that's been a tricky, uh, a tricky one for me. I do have a bit of toxicity to my body because I had my left hip replaced. So I've got, I've got a big chunk of metal in my left hip. Uh, that's a long story. Uh, that, um, mostly being stupid and ignoring pain was the reason <laughs> ended up with arthritis but so I do have I do carry a bit of toxicity in my body that I need to take into account um, and uh, yeah but the whole nutrition thing is uh, I believe it's a, a moving target we have a lot of gut stress in this part of the world because of the heat and also because of um, because of parasites you do need to keep an eye out. We've got a good environment for parasitic activities. You do need to keep a, um, I, I periodically do, do a, um, a month on a product called Scram, which is um, a, a basically a parasite elimination um, uh, protocol. So I think that's important to leave no stone unturned. Now let's take a quick break to talk about Equip foods. Equip Foods is a supplement line, but what I really love about them is their products are made with 100% real food products. There's no fillers, there's no chemicals, there's nothing artificial in it. So everything that you are putting into your body when you consume their products is good for you. And they don't just have the normal protein and pre-workout type supplements. They also have products for decreasing inflammation, for joint health, for circulation, for all sorts of things that just help you be an overall healthier person. So go check out everything Equip Foods has to offer at equip, E-Q-U-I-P, foods.com. And at checkout, if you use code F-I-X, 15, that is F-I-X-1-5, you can save 15% on your order. You can also get a link to Equip Foods and all my other partners at getyourfixpt.com partners. 
And now let's get back to our conversation. Symptom wise, do you know when you have a parasite in you or is it just something you do as a precaution? Sometimes these things creep up on you like, you know, like the proverbial frog in the cold water on the pan on the, and the heat slowly turned on, you don't notice it. But eventually it's going to uh, manifest itself and you're just not recovering. You've got your lethargic, you're not recovering, uh, you're bloated, um, you've got headaches, there's a certain amount of toxicity in your body. So these would all be indicators of such a thing. And I think finding a good practitioner look, uh, um, who, who's able to diagnose uh, some of this and then and then treat because in the US you've got this thing called Lyme Lyme mm -hmm. disease I think yeah. it's called which is a tick based now that can creep up on you and that's that's horrible that can take years to uh, to, to get rid of um, from what I read fasting can help accelerate that whole elimination of all the nasties as well but uh, you know I think gut health is is kind of underestimated for some people um, yeah and this comes back to the observation of the non-responding athlete. They're doing all the right things, but they're just not getting the, the gains. And you start to look at areas uh, and start to overturn, you know, and, and research areas of their life that, that may be compromised. I think a good amount of having a, a good doctor that's good at reading bloods as well, and not just the traditional bloods, but they're looking at things like... Um, serum folate levels, um, you know, all, all the usual stuff, T levels, E levels, estro estrogen, testosterone, uh, and so on. Uh, but there could be some, in, in, uh, in some of the less used tests, there could be some real uh, markers in there that are indicators of what's going wrong. Because typically with athletes, we're actually asking a lot of our bodies. And uh, for, for example, iron, for ladies, iron levels are uh, typically very easily compromised. And the traditional GPs in our part of the world won't, um, won't start prescribing a remedy unless somebody's down to about 20 on the iron level when the, the healthy level is 100. Uh, so that's a big gap. Uh, so we've been, uh, I was referring um, athletes to a place called the Iron Suites here, and they actually do iron infusions. So rather than taking tablets, the infusion is, is almost like a 24-hour top. It takes 24 hours to top up. That's all. Whereas iron tablets are, by default, a little toxic to the body, and they rely a lot on gut absorption, which may or not be may or may not be good, um, versus the iron infusion, which is uh, uh, um, uh, intravenously administered and brings athletes up really quickly. So I know a number of um, athletes that I've referred there because they were quite lethargic, and, and this is mostly a female thing. Although I was riding this morning with a guy who who has really low iron as well. And so, you know, it's not, you know, guys can get this um, just the same, but it's more likely to be a female uh, um, uh, uh, situation. But the, the difference was night and day. Once they were topped up, they were full of beans, full of energy, recovering well, 
uh, felt like their top end was a lot better. Top end where they're really pushing hard. So I, I think there's some some goodness in keeping an eye out for um, new ways of treating old um, illnesses because the, the the traditional way was not really working for a lot of people. The traditional way rarely works for a lot of people, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, iron iron is the body's gold essentially because if your iron levels are low, then it it just compromises your oxygen carrying capacity and that's going to find you out when you're under load. Absolutely. It's really interesting. Um, when I was in high school, my cross country coach had all of us females just taking a low dose iron because he had had enough athletes over the years, female athletes who became anemic. And so he's just like, well, let's just not let this happen. And yeah, yeah. as long as we were on that, like none of us ever, had an, an anemia problem, which was good. Yeah. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, good health is fascinating to me. Um, it has been for a number of years since I started looking into my own food intolerances and just kind of playing around with things like that. And it's just phenomenal how these healthy foods, you know, vegetables, fruits, proteins, can like not be good for your body depending on how your body tolerates it and like you said it's like you can be eating perfectly healthy for what a standard physician would tell you to you know someone would tell you to eat or a nutrition person might tell you to eat but it doesn't mean it's good for you yeah for sure we there's um a, a lot of new ways of actually having a look at your 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 personal dna Mm -hmm. uh, available now. You've got 23andMe and lots of other uh, uh, different ones. And um, my uh, my doctor's actually an oncologist that has a wellness practice. So I got involved with him because his blood screens, his blood reports were way beyond the traditional, what the traditional GP would describe, because he was looking right into all the nooks and crannies of someone's life and looking for weak links. And Ultimately, that led to, um, you know, the whole genome sequencing used to be hugely expensive, and now it's like a fifty to a hundred dollar um, uh, saliva uh, test or something of that nature. So I, I think that's that has some goodness to, particularly if somebody's not responding, to just go looking in into places like that. In this part of the world, with the Asian DNA. Uh, typically they're not, they have an intolerance towards dairy. Okay. And they might be taking whey protein and wondering why they're getting bloated and the absorption rate wouldn't be quite so good. So there's um, a bunch of alternatives now. We have a product in, in this country. It's run by a good friend of mine. A product's called New Zest, which is pea-based protein. Uh, and it has... Um, uh, uh, and, and that's very, very gentle on the on the stomach, and and just, uh, not surprisingly, has become very popular uh, here as a result of that. So I think these these are all that uh, that experiment of one journey to marginal gains of what works for you. And you can listen to the uh, all sorts of different podcasts to the Brett Ben Greenfields of the world or whomever the bell may toll. Uh, and at the end of the day, you've got to flesh it out. And it boils, 
down to what is convenient and what is repeatable in your life that will make that will move the needle and make the difference. Absolutely. Um, and last thing I did want to discuss on your coaching side of things, and it kind of just goes into basically everything else we've been talking about, but, um, and that's why like finding those generic programs online or those generic exercises online, when you do all your different searches, doesn't work for you that it like why those cookie cutter programs and things just don't bring the success. Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, it comes down to knowing your audience, knowing your athlete. And um, if, if, although I've done some online coaching, the vast majority has been where I had at least weekly contact with the athlete. And I think the, the goodness of a, um, a, co a good coach is able to read even in somebody's face whether they're carrying too much fatigue. Uh, and the other leading indicators that I used to find a couple of couple of stories, one of them was this morning, by the way, which I'll tell you in a minute, but whenever I used to get a, a message from an athlete at 11 o'clock at night, like a WhatsApp message, I would say, why are you not asleep? Because you, I know what your session's like tomorrow, and you're going to have to be up at, at um, 6 a.m. or 5.30. So you do the math. Do you want to recover or not? And so the, the, the good news about that is I coached a majority of my athletes were type A's. You wouldn't know what a type A was. Would, would no, nope, not at all. I have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> so type A's, they were driven. They were really goal centric. They were out to become world champions or at least get on the podium or qualify for the world champs and so on. Uh, so I knew I'd done my job right when those athletes were calling a rest day on themselves. Did I have to be a, a whipcracker of some kind? Never. Did they always try and overreach on their training sessions? Yes, they did. And so I'd watch out for overreaching when we're out on a long bike ride and all of a sudden they were pulling 120% of their functional threshold. I would say, why are you doing that? Is this race day? Why are you doing that? So we, we got the, to the discipline of an endurance ride or an endurance run is aerobic. Because if you're exceeding that, you're not building the capillary mass, the capillary density, the mitochondrial uh, reaction to burn fat better, the pulmonary stroke, uh, in other words, the amount of blood volume per stroke, the heat, the air conditioning system, which is very necessary here, of doing that in the heat and getting the body used to that and evolving, which also is a byproduct, by the way, uh, boosts your hemocrit levels. So you don't need to be in Colorado to, to uh, boost your hemocrit levels, just <laughs> train in 90% humidity. <laughs> uh, so even, even down to this morning, I rode with um, a guy I used to coach. I haven't rid with, ridden with him for a while. He's got a power meter on his bike. And uh, he said, I've got, he's, he's doing his own thing for coaching now. And he said, uh, oh, okay, I've got an effort to do. So it was an eight minute effort on 90% of his threshold. And uh, for, for the first thing he was in, he was spinning far too much because this guy needs to get strength and uh, he needs to do this either into a headwind or up a hill. And uh, so he, he wasn't, he was spinning too much to really build the strength he needed because 
this guy's light. He's really light. No problem with his weight, uh, but he just doesn't have the power. So he's, he did his eight minutes at 0.9. I said, I've got a suggestion. What's that? I said, next time do two by four minutes on 120% and do it at 70 cadence. So instead of 90 cadence, which would be your normal, that's about your running cadence, by the way, 180, which is 90 each leg. And okay. It's the same on a bike. So I said, do it at 70. Then you're really going to have to put some force into those pedals. Now you're going to build strength. Four minutes is close enough to your VO2 number, which is five without smashing them and do three sets of those. And that's going to move the needle. Doing eight minutes on at tempo is not. Do an hour on tempo, but he, he, couldn't, he couldn't do an hour. So eight minutes is nothing. Two by four minutes, well, that's going to move the needle. So you'll never get this in a program. This is observation. He had his arms too straight on the handlebars too. So he, did, he wasn't bending at the elbows a little. So you can cushion uh, you know, the vibration through the road. Having your arms stiff, you hit a little bump on the road and you're, the front of the bike, the steering starts to go left, right, left, right. So yeah, it's just little, little biomechanical things uh, that you see. And you also see someone when they load on a bike as well. When they're really going for it, you see their position change. Then you see they start to favor one side of the saddle because they've got an imbalance. Mm -hmm. they're, they're left centric or right centric. Now, now you, you'll never see this in a program. So there's, there's some of the, I think, the soft skills of coaching, not in the least of which is what I said first, is that you just take one look at your athlete and you know they're not recovered. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can just see that glazed look in their eye. And they've either had a, had a big night at the pub the night before or they've just they've been overreaching mm -hmm. i think a lot there's a lot of overreaching go goes on i see this into the spartan world if i may make a quick comment because i'm really bullish on spartan i think spartan's going to take over triathlon in asia and i come from a multi-sport coaching background the reason the reason why is that spartan doesn't involve swimming there's the first reason most of most asians are not great swimmers it's the weakest part of the discipline. I've, I've coached lots of 20 nationalities, including a lot from Southeast Asia and North Asia. And they, they struggle with swimming. It's not insurmountable, by the way. We can get them swimming quite well, but it's not a natural thing for them. If you take cycling out of the equation, cycling is a, is a time-heavy part of the sport. To be good on the bike, you're going to have to be putting in at least 10 hours. To be very good, it's going to be 20. And to be elite, it's going to be 30. It's a very time-hungry sport. If you take that out of the equation and you have an hour per day or an hour and a half per day uh, to, to train, then Spartan's within reach of everyone. And the other thing I like about Spartan is people don't get skinny like they do in endurance sports. They hold muscle. This is a healthy thing for us, mm -hmm. especially when you get older. Keeping muscle is, is a great part of being healthy and living a long time. So I, I'm really bullish about Spartan. And or, although the downside is, as I see it, most Spartan races are training uh, too fast, too often. And because there, there's a rule, there's a formula that I've always used that comes from a great coach called Arthur Lydiard, who was a peer of Bill Bauman's. Bill Bauman was one of the founders of Nike. 
<clears throat> long story. The coach is called Arthur Lydiard. I'll let you look him up. He was voted coach of the century last century. So his methodology was yet a formula, 87.94. 87% of the time, you should be at endurance pace. 9% of the time at threshold, 4% of the time at VO2 max. Do you know that most Spartan races turn that triangle upside down? <laughs> and so do most triathletes, by the way. I'm not picking on Spartan races. But the, the downside is if you spend too much time at threshold or beyond, you're never developing the whole capillary network the, and all the hormonal goodies that come with building the engine. You're actually building the top end of the engine, but it's not sitting on a broad base, which will allow you to support the, the efforts that you are needing to do. So that's why um, most of the Kenyans, for example, are running, um, are running at the upper end of the aerobic zone. Now they might be running at 18 kilometers an hour, mind you, but they're still running aerobically. <laughs> And then their race pace is very close to that. It might be 19 or 20. It's only a tiny, you know, going from 18 to 19 to 20 doesn't seem like much. Um, but uh, it, they're, they're so close to their uh, thresh or top end of the aerobic zone that they're getting some uh, threshold benefit as well in the, in the whole process. So I, I do see a bit too much of an emphasis on on track work when I reckon in this part of the world running trails is gold for building strength, soft tissue resilience and all those things that you teach people from running biomechanics when you see weak weaknesses in, in, in the running gate, you, you want to be building strength into them before you go fast or otherwise something's going to break. Um, and the other um, final comment, I, I see um, a lot of Spartan racing is very upper body centric. Lots of lifts, lots of carries. Um, everything I'm not good at, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good at sitting on my bum and pedaling, but I'm not good at necessarily lifting my body weight and so on. But that's, a, that's another story. So I do see with, uh, you know, and I've coached a lot of swimmers and I've, I've had to avoid things like swimmers' shoulders because the, the shoulder area and the structure around the shoulder is very narrow. And if there's a biomechanical issue, it's quite easy to get uh, to, to get um, uh, issues with the soft tissue, including frozen shoulders and so on. And they're quite nasty. They take a long time to heal. Um, fortunately, um, insert recovery systems ad here. We've got um, arm cuffs as well as hip and glute cuffs as well as legs. Uh, we've even got some pants. So we do try and treat all areas of the of the body, but I do see lots of carrying going on and and lots of stress on small body parts. Just as a comment, and you feel free to disagree with me, but I, I think the a healthy balance across everything would be good. And I'd love to see people doing long, long, steady runs, particularly on um, off-road surfaces like soft. Uh, uh, trails and so on. No, I don't disagree with you at all. I, there's so much, whether it's Spartan world, my runners, my crossfitters, it's, they want to go hundred percent every time. And like, I'll get a new client and I'll start programming for them. And 
make one day like purely more of like an accessory work day, really work on the stability and that sort of thing. And they're like, that was an easy workout. I'm like, yeah, like it's not taxing to your cardio system, but if you're doing it right, like your body's going to feel exhausted, like your muscles, because you're working everything that you never work (laughs) is exhausted. Um, and yeah, when it comes to shoulders, there's so many shoulder injuries because of all the high volume, high rep stuff that we do. But more importantly, it's because we don't do that other stuff to make sure we can stabilize ourselves with that. Like if you have good control and stability, you should be able to hang from a bar with one arm to make your transition on a monkey bar without any issue. But if you've never built that stability up, you're just hanging on ligaments. Yeah. Yeah. Word. So to, to my uh, to my more stubborn athletes, I used to ask them this question. Do you love your sport? Oh, yes, I do. What would happen if you had to spend three months out of it? Oh, oh, because that's where you're heading. Do you want that? Do you want to see pictures of my hip during the surgery? Do you want to see what a, a dumb move looks like? And they, they generally start to listen at that point. And yeah, so I, I think that's... Uh, I, I also heard Jesse talk when uh, she was on your show. Now, Jesse, Jesse is a, like a bulldog. If you pin a number on, on Jesse, she will just go max out. So <laughs> Jesse was talking about having a lot of different races, A races, B races, C races, and D races. Anytime you pin a number on Jesse and athletes like that, I know a lot of athletes, they're just going to give it all. <laughs> so I think there's... There's something to, uh, if that is your condition, I reckon there's something to actually uh, not being in a race where you know you're going to be noticed and doing your own thing. And it Mm -hmm. might be, uh, you know, where where you're taking time out of the limelight. So you're under no pressure to, to actually focus on exactly what you need to do. I'll give you a quick example. We've got a trail here in Singapore called McRitchie. It's 10.6K around. It's fairly undulating, but not mega, not mega steep. We used to give our athletes an A if they ran it in an hour and 10. We used to give them a B if they ran it in an hour and 15. And a C if they ran it in an hour and five. Because there's a the goodness comes from time on your feet on the uneven surface. Strengthening the um, soft tissue, having the... Um, you know, the different uh, forces on your body running up a hill versus and running down a hill. And then over time, as our athletes, inevitably, uh, we have faster athletes. And over time, as they got fitter, there was a, there's a long section of steps in this particular run, around 300 steps. So good amount. So the, the more elite runners would do six loops of that. The, the intermediates would do four. And the, um, and the other folks would do too. Everyone's getting what they need. Everyone's getting an appropriate amount of stimulation. Do we make the, the beginner guys do six? No, they're overreaching. They're going to wreck themselves. But two, two, four, six. So that way, everything equalizes out. And everyone gets what they need. Uh, lots of high-fiving at the end because it's been a good session. Yeah. I think, in my opinion, some of the wearables... Garmin, even Strava, like all those workout trackers are 
Yeah, I'm just going to use they are a detriment to our training just because it's like people like to see improvement. They like to see PRs. And so a lot of like, I, in my opinion, it causes people to train a lot harder than what they should have. Cause like, oh, I got that time on my 10K last time. So I need to push harder versus like, no, you can just do an easy recovery run today. Yeah, absolutely. There's a time and place for it. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if I give an athlete a uh, 45 second all out um, by five sets on the bike, I don't really care what happens otherwise. I don't want to see a personal record of average speed for the whole session because the rest of it should be easy. The, sh- the rest of it should be at their endurance pace. The real, uh, the sweet spot for the session is those 45 seconds and nailing them consistently, not doing one blowout, you know, one one mega one, and then the rest are declining in value. But it's to really look at the quality of the session. I think that's really important. Um, I started playing around with muscle oxygen sensors about 18 months ago from a company that's been acquired since by Whoop. But the company was a, an American company called Humon. Okay. Now, this... Uh, what really interested me in this, and I, I'm sorry they got acquired, is that it beams near infrared light into your muscle, into the adipose layer of your muscle, and it picks it picks up uh, muscle coloration because oxygenated blood is a different color to deoxygenated blood, and there's very fine um, points of change where it can, it can point, it can predict whether it can tell you whether you're in your endurance zone at your threshold, whether you've recovered sufficiently, which could be really important in between sets, right? Uh, and, and whether you're at your VO2 max. And I, I started to see this technology as being really interesting in that heart rate's wildly variable and it lags. Uh, so, you know, it's gonna take, if you start to do an effort, it may be 10, 15 seconds later before your heart rate catches up to what the actual effort is. Whereas the thing that interested me in this technology, and I'm so um, so sorry it kind of disappeared for the moment, is that it's measuring real-time a response to the work. Whereas heart rate, there's a lag. Also in our environment, because humidity is high and we have um, no evaporation, which is the way your body cools through evaporation, if there's high humidity, the sweat sits on you. It doesn't evaporate. Your body um, needs that evaporation to cool itself. Because of that, there's a, an overhead on your heart rate. So your work, you know, your work rate might be, you might be working at 120 beats per minute, but because of the heat and humidity, your heart rate may be another 10, 15, 20% higher than that. So that's not actually measuring your work that's measuring your response to a whole lot of other things like the heat as well. So I, I did think that muscle oxygen sensors and putting them into a device, because it needs to be strapped on to a big muscle like the leg and it sits, sits there. And um, so I was so sorry to see that technology uh, uh, disappear for the moment. I believe it'll come back. So I think that's, uh, that, that has some real potential. That's really interesting. Awesome. Oh, cool. We've covered a lot of things. We have. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, If someone's interested in your recovery systems or just wants to 
um, talk to you? How can they find you? Best, the easiest way is through our Instagram, which is Recovery Systems. Uh, and I would encourage you to sign up for our newsletter, your listeners to sign up because we have a monthly draw and I answer all the social media personally. Uh, so if you have a question around your sport and how to use uh, our product, because you're, you're basically using it for four things if you're using it properly. Warm-up, recovery, rehab. So if you do get injured, you can put an ice gel pack inside the, the cuff and then zip it up and have the pressure down nice and low. So as a practitioner, you would be used to doing ice compression therapy. So mm -hmm. this is a good, um, a, a nice little hack on that. And the fourth one is travel. Because the moment you get on an airplane, do you remember what it was like to fly somewhere? <laughs> I do. Crazy enough, I do remember what that was yeah. like. Yeah, it's a romantic notion now, I know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, when you're flying for sport, it's typically a key race. You've typically spent months and months, maybe even a year preparing for, only to have at the last, at race week time, you get on a plane and when they close the cabin door, the SBO drops from 99 or 98% to 94%. Now your body's producing edema. And you're gonna, you're, and, and you're getting to a place where you, you're uh, expected to be giving your best in three or four days' time at the race. So having the boots on the plane, using them to make sure you're on top of moving the blood, making, keeping on top of the edema, and then when you land is a great... Um, final part of the equation for uh, for uh, from a use case for the for the boot so yep so recovery systems in instagram and um otherwise our website's recovery system sport but instagram's the easy gateway into all those things join the uh, monthly draw and and we'd love to hear from you you know what no matter what your sport is because uh, we're across spartan crossfit mma uh rugby, basketball, canoeing, triathlon, ultra running. Um, I, I mentioned lots of, lots of Spartans, uh, cycling, uh, and the list goes on. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You shared a ton of good information with us today. I really appreciate it. Really great to have a chat and uh, wishing you the best for your rest of your evening. And uh, we'll stay in touch through social media, I'm sure. Absolutely. Oh. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. And before I close out, I have two questions for you. Do you feel like you're in a plateau with your progress? Or do you feel like you're stuck in an injury cycle? Both of these issues are very common and both of them can be fixed very easily. Most often, both of these issues come down to how you're training or more importantly, what's missing in your training. By figuring out what's missing and adding that in, your training performance will improve, your racing performance will improve, and your injury cycle will break. I invite you to get on a free 30-minute consultation call with me to discuss what's going on with you, your life, your training, so we can really figure out what needs to be done to improve that. So head over to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash askthocrdoc to book a free call with me. 
Thank you again for listening today. I greatly appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.